This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right. What is going on, everybody? How you doing? What is up? Welcome to episode 241 Talk Buffalo Podcast. Thank you to everybody out there, as always, for continuing to listen, download, support the show. Truly means a lot to me. It really does. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. And I'll tell you what, subscribers of this podcast, don't forget, still got a couple more days to get in on the prize pack giveaway that we got going on. This time it is a large 18-inch wood-fired pizza. Oh my God, that sounds so good to me right now. As well as 20 wings. And that, of course, is being sponsored by our friends at Sunny Reds in Lackawanna. Uh, just go on my Twitter at Pamoran Tweets. I got a tweet pinned at the very top of my timeline. Very simple rules. I'll link that to, in the show notes as well to my tweet. And uh going to announce that winner on Friday. By the way, the winner of the previous contest we just did from Macy's Place Pizzeria. That was won by a gentleman named Jason Collin. I saw that he put a tweet out about how great the food was, how much he enjoyed it. I'll tell you what, I'm sure he's right. And whoever wins this, I think they'll be equally impressed with Sunny Reds. It's a really good spot for food. Also for vibing out too, man. I've done a couple podcasts there in the past. I've done shows with Joe Biscaglia. I did a show with Eric Wood there. I did a show with Reed Ferguson. And I'll tell you what, don't take my word about how good the food is, the wings, the pizza there. Go ask those guys. I'm sure they'll tell you. As for today, I'm going to have recurring guest Greg Thompson on with me. Greg, uh does an awesome job with the Cover One Buffalo podcast. I'm a big fan of it. Greg's definitely one of the more insightful guys out there when it comes to the Bills. Dude's a, a grinder, man. A great knower of all things Bills. And I'll tell you what, that's a big reason why he not only does a great job with his own podcast, but he's pretty much always on the local pod circuit as a guest as well. Guy's in demand, including this show. And I'll tell you what, I remember a recent appearance by Greg on this podcast ended up producing one of the more memorable moments that I've ever had on the history of this podcast. It wasn't last time he was on. No, it was the the time before I had Greg on with me and we were actually like literally in the middle of taping the show when news broke on Twitter that Stefan Diggs had been traded to the Bills. And uh, I'll never forget. In fact, I'll play the clip. But Greg later on get his reaction now that we've had some time to let the dust settle on that. But anyway, at that moment, we both reacted in real time. And frankly, you know, partially because we were kind of shocked that 
it happened, it was like we were like big time fanboys as it all went down. And you know what? It's all right. Sometimes it's fun to react that way. Uh, so anyway, obviously, we'll be talking lots of Buffalo Bills today and we'll spend some time examining why the Bills are considered by many to be the favorites in the AFC East this year. Of course, to be the favorites, that means that you need to be regarded as better than the other three teams that are in your division, your competition. So we'll take a look at the AFC East. Uh, we'll determine how accurate saying that really means that the Bills are the team to beat in the AFC East. I always enjoy having Greg on this podcast with me. Without question, one of my favorite guests, and I'm sure today is going to be no different. So I'll tell you what, enough talky-talky for me here. Let's just dig in right now. Here it is, my chat with Cover One's Greg Thompson. All right, my guest today is the host of the Cover One Buffalo podcast. He's been on this show multiple times before. One of my favorite Buffalo Bills minds out there, my man, Greg Thompson. What up? What's going on, Greg? Hey, what's going on, Pat? It's a, it's a good night, man. It's fun, and I, I'm starting to finally feel like there might actually be football, so that's a good feeling. <laughs> it, it definitely is, and I'll tell you what. Every time I have you on the show, something happens. Well, I'm going to play a clip because we all, like, at least you and I know anyway. Some people, our regular listeners know. You and I were literally taping a podcast and dead smack in the middle of it. Talking about the offensive line, when you saw on Twitter, you saw it before I did, that the Bills had traded for Stephon Diggs. I'm going to play that clip in a second because last time I had you on the show, I didn't actually have that clip available because you've been on one since then. But now I have it. So I want to play that. I'm going to get your reaction after. But also, today, again, we're taping this Monday. Now, this is not in real time. But earlier today, the Bills made a significant signing. Brian Winters, I'm going to get your thoughts on him a little bit later in the show. But before that, let's start there. And then we'll just uh, talk about whatever the hell comes on my mind. But this was from March, literally the first day of free agency. You and I were having a conversation. Wasn't a lot going on with the team. And that changed real quick. Here's that clip. We need more high-end starters. And, and I don't care if we bring in guys who are going to bump a former starter into a backup role or multiple former roster guys into one roster battle, I think that very likely we could have Isaiah McKenzie versus Andre Roberts versus Duke Williams versus Robert Foster for one roster spot. And that would be great because that would mean we added three other talented players. So um, I think that what it says is that Brandon Bean knows our roster is good it's better, it's not good enough, and you need to add more talent. One move that the Bills did make is re-signing Quinn in Spain. They gave him three years, $15 million, four and a half of that guaranteed. I liked that contract when I first heard about it. Wait, 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 this is real. The Bills just traded for Stephon Diggs right now. What? The Bills just traded for Stephon Oh my God, Stephon there it is. We're on the air. Laser, real account. Wow, we are on the air right now. This podcast might get cut short. I was just going to talk about wide receiver. I'm we're doing this right now on the air. Yeah. This is yeah, unbelievable. This is, live. this is awesome. Keep this in the show. This oh, is this a is real not, reaction. This is staying the up. The Bills just traded for Stephon Diggs. That's right. That's right. I got. I don't even know how to talk right now. <laughs> I had a loss for words. Wow. I, we got to. We got to stay on here and find out what the what the compensation is. This is going to be awesome. I 
This is raw. How crazy is that looking back now? You're like a prophet. You literally, like, seconds before that happened, we kind of moved to the offensive line. But you were just talking about, like, the sentence before that about competition, potentially three, four wide receivers competing for, you know, possibly one spot. And that very well may happen now. And Stefan Diggs, obviously, the big addition. But now we've had some time to digest. And by the way, listening to that, we were clearly both uh, shook a little bit. I mean, in a good way, of course, but I didn't know even how to react. I mean, I was just shocked. And up until that point, like I said, it was nothing really significant going on with the Bills. Spain was like the big re-signing. And then not long after that, too, in fact, after we wrapped up taping later that night, they signed Mario Addison as well. But looking back now, man, your thoughts on that. That was a crazy night. Yeah, it's hysterical to hear it in hindsight. And I, I'm, yeah, I'm a little proud. Of it. Every once in a while, I stumble across a, a good point here and there and talking about how if we added three receivers, it would push down. So Roberts and McKenzie and Foster and Duke Williams are fighting for one or two spots. And, you know, lo and behold, we, we trade for Stefan Diggs. We draft two receivers, and that's kind of what happened. So I, I at least, uh, you know, whatever, the blind squirrels and broken clocks and whatever you write every once in a while. But uh, I'll take it, man. It, it was so funny to hear the natural reaction and the excitement. And I, that certainly hasn't died down now. It's awesome to see Stefan Diggs reporting to camp in a Bills uniform looking great and uh, just funny to hear it uh, back when it happened live. Yeah, it is. And it's kind of funny because, you know, we are, we at least try to be, at least when we're doing our shows anyway, unbiased, objective, as non-emotional as possible. (laughs) When something like that goes on, you and I both, that went out the window real freaking quick, man. We we became fanboys real quick because we both loved that move. And I mean, you're looking even months since that's happened now. And I, I might even like the move now more than I did in that moment, giving up a first rounder and, you know, four picks in total. But Man, I just, he's the guy they were looking for. I I kind of feel that way, and I know you do as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, the trickle-down effect of having a guy like Stephon Diggs and allows John Brown to now be an upper-class wide receiver, too. And, you know, if you dare give double coverage to any of them and you isolate somebody with Cole Beasley, man, I mean, his footwork's incredible. And if Dawson Knox takes a step forward, just the trickle-down effect of having a guy you know, they talk about gravity and tilting the field. It just makes such a positive impact on everybody else when you have that guy who takes up so much defensive attention. And I think it's really going to put Josh Allen in his best possible scenario to succeed where we're going to, we've eliminated all the variables. They know what, what we have around him. And now we're going to see everything he's capable of. Yeah, for sure. Now we'll pivot back to some Bill's talk shortly. I'll tell you what, I had Nate Gary. I know you're friends with Nate on the show just this past Friday. And pretty early on in the conversation, we were talking about Eric Turner from Cover One, where you work too. He put up on Twitter a couple photos. It was exactly a year ago last week where we had a nice meetup at a at a place in downtown Buffalo. You were there. I was there. Nate was there. A bunch of podcasters, bloggers. Uh, Josh Barnett from the Buffalo News was there. A couple other people as well. It was a really good time, man. We had food, drinks. We were just hanging out. Me and each other, it was, it was a nice night. And it's just crazy. And Nate and I were talking about this too, just how much things have changed in one year. You know what I'm saying? Now, Nate was talking about having you and Eric on his show live from training camp. It's just like, God, it seems like an eternity to go right now, doesn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, the I, I certainly am going to miss that piece of it and being able to, 
you know, get a feel for just the people that we talk to all the time. And there's so many people that you talk back and forth with online that you build relationships with and, you know, genuinely get to know. Sometimes you see things with their family, you see life events, you see see things happening and you don't ever actually meet them in person. So it's awesome to be able to interact with everybody and see everybody. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I like watching practice and, and being able to see all the guys and the individual reps and see who's developing and who looks like might be that diamond in the rough. But the personal interaction with everybody and seeing all the guys that we kind of have our little groups with online, it's uh, certainly going to be missed with this year's camp. And it was awesome to be able to see those pictures and see how many people got together there last year. It was a great time. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I remember that very well. It was my first night actually back in Buffalo. I had come down from Florida and my first night I met up with you guys. I'll tell you what, so I haven't had you on the podcast since the beginning of April. Last time you were on, football stuff aside, COVID was a real thing. Sports by that point were shut down, but we were still like kind of in the infancy stage of what this thing was going to become. Uh, just for a quick minute here, like talk about the effect that it's had on your life, whether it's something professionally, something personal, or maybe it hasn't really, you know, affected your life too much at all. But man, like I said, early April and we're now in early August. And uh, again, like I just said about last year, it still seems like an attorney ago, but how's it affected you, man? Um, So some interesting things. I've actually had a lot of change during COVID and since all this has been going on. So being able to kind of go through this, I actually changed jobs and moved houses during this. Mm. And it's been just crazy, you know, getting, I had worked 17 years for one company and then got an offer I couldn't refuse that was a huge opportunity professionally and allowed us to move back home closer to family and friends. And that combination, despite doing it in the midst of all this madness, was just too much to pass up. So um, I took that leap of faith to change to a new company. And it's still the same industry. I I still work in logistics and supply chain solutions kind of stuff. But it's interesting to go through all that while you're still trying to manage with masks on and coordinate movers and people coming in to, to set up to sell your house and to move it. So we were incredibly fortunate. We sold our house and got what we were looking for. We found a house that we wanted in a great school system and in an area that we're excited about. And I'm actually the only one in the house right now because I'm still doing kind of all the setup assembly stuff myself while my wife and my kids are staying at my in-laws and they're coming over each day and going back and forth. So I'm still kind of in the midst of it, but uh, it's been crazy to do, you know, this kind of unprecedented once in a lifetime pandemic and I'm changing jobs and moving, you know, six States away from Atlanta back up to Cleveland all in the middle of it. Wow. That's, that's really cool. man. I I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. And you're one of those, and, and good for you, obviously, but you know, you're one of those so far so good small percentages of people who might actually look back at 2020 in a in a positive light, man. There's not a lot of people out there that can say that shit right now. Good for yeah, you. Yeah, I, I can't lie. It was a welcome distraction. Like my wife yeah. and I were so monopolized in just getting the house ready and then packing everything up and then sure. being able to get stuff into storage and then focusing on stuff for the kids and then all of a sudden being able to move and get it into storage and then get up here so we could start searching for houses and then finding the house and then closing on the house and moving in and all those things take up every ounce of your time and energy and attention and honestly it was a huge blessing not to have to you know you know I certainly can appreciate how hard it is to just 
see the news every day and something else depressing or crazy or terrible um or you know god forbid many of the people who've lost loved ones or lost a job or whatever it may be so i certainly count myself to be very fortunate that i was able to get a new job that was very you know a, a huge blessing for my family and to be able to move back closer to family and friends and had some oddly positive things come from such a terrible weird year well that's really good man uh i've only talked about it I think once on this podcast, so you probably didn't hear that episode. So I don't even know if you know this, but so I've been down here in Florida and you know, at this point, Florida is the epicenter of <laughs> yeah. this coronavirus. Yeah, and yeah. You're, you're normally my news update for what's going on in Florida and it's not been great. <laughs> no, it's fucking terrible. And, and it really is. And I'll tell you the whole fake news thing that we hear every day. Some of that is legit. Some of it's not, but I'll tell you a lot of the horror stories that you hear about Florida is completely accurate. So anyway, bro, I'm down here. And from when this first became a thing in March until very late in June, I did not personally know of one single person that actually tested positive for COVID. Not one during what, four months, whatever. Then in a matter of four days, four people, (laughs) my wife tested positive for COVID. My nephew, who was just moved down here, not even three weeks before he tested positive for COVID. And I also have two very close friends who I've been friends with for 20 plus years in Buffalo, who over the course of the couple of years since I've been down here, moved down here for various reasons. One of them, he met a girl down here when he was coming here to see me at a Bills game back in 2017. He fell in love with this girl and blah, blah, blah. He moved down here eventually. And then I have another very close friend who just wanted a lifestyle senior change, and he moved down here. Anyway, they both got COVID too. So in a matter, seven people in total that I personally knew got COVID within 72 hours, including my wife, my nephew, and two of my best friends in the world, man. That's and I crazy. Think it is. And I'll tell you this, man, me and my son must have tiger blood. That's the only conclusion that I could come up with. We got tested each four times. I took a antibody test and it came out negative. So I've never had it, but I was in like quite literally direct contact Obviously, with my wife, we sleep in the same bed for a couple days before she knew she had it. Uh, one of my two best friends, he I played cornhole with him the night before he tested positive the next day, or he got tested and then ultimately found out he was positive. And then my other close friend, I was with him drinking that weekend before, man. And my nephew drives with my son to football workouts like literally every day. I never got it. And my son never got it, which they obviously, thank God at this point, but I'll tell you that, and I don't want to get into like COVID, the extent of it, that kind of conversation. That's not what we do, but I'm, I have to say this dude, being completely honest with you. I watched it with my own eyes. It was scary, very scary, especially with my wife, obviously, because you never know, you know, we don't know a lot about this virus. It could turn, but at the end of the day for three of those four people, it was just like having a two day flu, maybe three days. One of them was asymptomatic and never even really had any symptoms at all. But I don't want to be insensitive because you just pointed it out, man. 150,000 people plus have perished or dead. So it's really, it's a tough line to balance between saying, all right, well, we need to open all this up. 99% survival rate. I saw it with my own eyes. Again, seven people who were all fine in less than four or five days. But how do you tell the families of 150,000 people, or I'm sure several other thousand people right now in this country that are you know legitimately sick sick that hey got to move on 
it's just it's it's a really tough situation bro it really is it's impossible you know so one i mean obviously you know i I wish all the best for you know your wife your your nephew all your family and your friends that things go as smoothly as they can and hopefully that continues you know obviously thank Mm -hmm. god we are seeing 90 whatever high 90 percent of people you know make it through this um but it's still crazy to be able to be in a scenario where you can have something that just can be so scary and that, you know, sadly it's, it's some healthy people that are struggling from this. And, sure. um, you know, it's, it is a, just a really weird situation that no, neither of us grew up when polio or smallpox or the Spanish flu or any of the crazy things we read about in books, like we've never had anything like this. And, um, you know, neither of us, I don't think we're old enough for the AIDS pandemic to really be impactful from a fear standpoint, like when sure. it was, you know, running through there. So, I don't have any, you know, frame of reference or context to to know like, hey, what is this? How is that supposed to happen? What are we supposed to do now? And, you know, I have young kids and I'm struggling and trying to figure out, OK, what do we do? My son has a genetic disease and we, we have a very immune compromised situation where we need him to go back into the school and therapy sessions he was getting to continue with his development mentally. But we're paranoid and terrified of, well, can we expose him to that? And, you know, are we going to regret being conservative five years from now that, Oh, we should have pushed harder because we lost progress on his development, but we are trying to avoid him from getting sick. And it's just, there's no right answer. And, And it's really terrifying to be in a constant situation of lesser than evils. And what's the least terrible thing you can do, um, when there is no good outcome. So you know, certainly wishing the best for you and your family, but it's it's a weird, weird world right now. It is, and it is very scary. I'm going to be honest, those three days w- w- with my wife, again, she ended up just with flu symptoms, bro. That's it. But she ended up completely fine. But yeah, it's just so subjective and it feels random and arbitrary. It's like where this disease or this virus infects people and to what extent, just nuts. But yeah, that's all you can do, man. Just hope for the best. That's all you can do. Let's talk about something <laughs> Much more happier than that, brother. I like sports, it. Like man. It. Sports are back. What is your level of interest right now? I know you're a football guy by far, first and foremost, but other sports are finally back. Uh, what's your level of interest right now? Like, have you watched a lot of sports since they've been back? So I'm not a huge baseball guy. Um, right. I am enormous, and my wife will laugh if she heard me right now. I always have sports on in the background of everything that I do. Like it's just, (laughs) it's the constant kind of soundtrack of my life. Mm -hmm. And so if there's a live event of any nature on, no matter what I'm doing, I'll just kind of have that running in the background. Um, So sometimes I would have baseball doing that, but mainly only if it was like Sunday night baseball and nothing else was on. I'm I'm a huge basketball fan. So I've been really excited and honestly, really impressed with the product that the NBA has put out so far with the whole bubble thing and how they've managed the TV aspect of it. And I've felt pretty normal during most of it. Like it hasn't, I haven't lost that much. Um, The way that they shrank the size of the view and everything like that. Um, Baseball is a little bit different because it's just so blatantly thrown at you over and over again that the stadium's empty. So it's just hard to turn that part of your brain off. And it's made me wonder how noticeable is that going to be in football? Because so many of the views, it's 
it's just the field. Like that's all you see. But anytime there's anything in between or panning on a celebration or a touchdown or anything like that, you do see the stands. So I'm wondering, I hope it's one thing they learn from the NBA and baseball is that, you know, do your best not to show anything in the stands and to right. keep it focused on the field. Cause I've enjoyed it. The stuff that's been on so far, you know, I, I watched, I happened to be watching during one of Aaron judges uh, at bats and watched him launch that 468 foot home run, which Love was it. fun. And then the NBA has been great. I've had it as kind of the running background the last few days and, just I'm ecstatic sports are back because I, I think I've ran out of stuff to stream. I streamed every show that's ever existed and I'm, I'm <laughs> I've run out of things. I tell you, I like baseball more than most sports fans do. I admit that I'm an NBA nut. I know this is kind of an unpopular thing to say, and I say it all the time. People already hate me for it. So whatever. I'm not a big NHL guy, man. Yeah, I, I watch the Sabres when they're playing because, well, because in a way I have to, because I talk about the Sabres and I am, a Sabres fan to some extent, but I'm not watching, dude. I'm not watching the Blues play the Avalanche or whoever else is playing if the Buffalo Sabres aren't involved. Where NBA, I'll watch almost any game. Baseball, I'm a big Yankees guy. Has the simulated crowd noise that you hear on TV, has it bothered you at all? It hasn't bothered me as much as I thought it would. I do agree with you 100% about the baseball stadium. That seems weird to me. It, it is tough. And I will say, I think 75% of the time, it's enough to trick my brain into making it seem normal, especially when you're not watching, like when you're not looking, if it's just on while you're eating or while you're doing something else, or a lot of times while I'm doing notes and prepping for the show or working on something for work the next day, um, it just sounds relatively normal. Sometimes when you're watching and you can see that the either the timing's not perfect, or maybe it comes across a little cheesy, like a '80s sitcom laugh track kind of thing, where like obviously mm-hmm. that's not the natural reaction to it. Um, there is a small percentage of the time where it, it is weird, but I would say the majority of the time, I thought it was actually better than just the silence or the weird empty noise. Yeah, let's talk about your show for a few minutes, and we'll hit on some football. Cover One cool. Podcast, you do it mostly solo now after having a regular partner before, Aaron Quinn, who got out of the podcasting game. So <laughs> you do most yours. That's my guy, Aaron. You do most I, your I'm shows jealous. alone. I'm he, jealous. He, he's dumped all social media and he's living yeah. his best life. <laughs> it's funny because not too long ago, it's not that I don't ever think about Aaron, but it, it just never really occurred to me. I just got so much shit going on like I, you know, we've been talking about. And I kind of said something on the clear blue sky, like, where the hell's Aaron Quinn? And a couple of people told me, dude, just got off social media. I was like, oh boy, you never yeah. know. There's always, there's many reasons why somebody would get off social media. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. So I don't know what's up with your boy. No, no, I'll, I'll give a quick uh, little aside for him. Um, his was genuinely the a debate with he and his wife going back and forth and they were doing some things kind of planning out long-term planning talking about investments and she challenged him and said hey you manage all of our long-term investments you manage our you know actual like you know college funds for the kids you know our actual you know wall street investments for our retirement and you do really good analysis on return on investment and the amount we put in versus what we get out what do you think it would look like if you evaluated your social media interactions on the energy you put into it versus what you get in return from it? Yeah. And he said, 
it was just an epiphany for me. And I saw that, you know, for every person that I went 30 replies deep on, because I knew I was going to change their mind on this topic and that, you know, what one in 10 actually do acknowledge and change. And that, um, you know, any of the things that I thought I was proud, I just, I didn't feel like I was getting anywhere close to the amount of energy I was doing. And it wasn't profitable in my life for positive energy and interaction and things that I wanted. So I just, I couldn't commit to it any longer. And that I found, he found himself not being able to separate that and focus on the positive and not, he knew himself well enough that he couldn't not bite when people, you know, he would always take the cheese. He couldn't help himself. So he's like, well, fine. I'll, <laughs> I'll delete it. He deleted Twitter. He deleted Facebook. I still talk to him every day. We talk every day. Um, and he's literally living his best life. And I, I hate him a little bit. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, that makes me really happy. And and now I, as you spell it out, I could totally see it. Aaron's forever debated somebody on Twitter, sometimes myself oh, too. Dude, he, which, he can't help himself. No, and it's fun. It was fun for me to watch it. You know, I love, <laughs> love watching his tweets and him going back and forth with people. And I always gave him props too because he wasn't afraid to disagree with whoever it may be. If, if you know, some there's some sports personalities out there that even if you don't really agree with them, you're just gonna not say nothing, or you'll agree even if you don't believe it. But everyone like that, so. Good for him, though, man. That, that makes me happy to hear that, man. Good dude. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I I get asked every two or three days. Somebody will ask me what's going on ah. with him, and I, I always screenshot it and send it to him. And I always have the same thing. I'm like, no, he's totally fine. We talk every day. He deleted social media and is living his best life, and he's happy, happy as can be. Good for him. Well, anyway, he created more work for you. <laughs> like yeah. I said, now you do, <laughs> you do your show mostly solo, but you also have guests on sometimes too, depending on what you're talking about that episode. What has that process been like for you, that transition to, like I said, having a, an every episode partner for the most part last year to kind of going about it, doing it for the most part yourself now? So, it, you know, I, I can't lie. I probably was telling myself that he just needed a break and was going to come back. I'm I'm now coming to the realization that right. I'm pretty sure he's not coming back. Um, so <laughs> Eric and I talked about that strategically and that I had no interest in going out to find another partner. I, I really enjoyed working with, with Aaron and that, you know, unless something absolutely perfect fell in our lap, I didn't want to go out recruiting or trying to interview for somebody to, to step into that role. Cause we had such natural chemistry and had been doing it together for a while. Um, right. So I, I was like, nah, I, I, and I had already lined up, you know, a good dozen different people that were either position specialists as I was doing the position preview shows we've been doing each Sunday night and all those different parts that, you know, I, I felt like I had enough to fill in. And then, you know, at this time we're talking back in March when we were talking about this, um, that like, well, we'll figure it out later on and see if he really is going to stick to this. And now, you know, again, we're at the kind of the end of that run. I've got one more show this Sunday with Brad Kelly doing a wide receiver preview. Um, and that's the last one I had lined up. And now it's going to get more serious to be like, well, is this just going to be a solo show now? Or are we going to try to look at something? So as of right now, that's the plan. And it's been okay. You know, I've, I've always been able to kind of roll with it from a solo standpoint, but I like, you know, just like your show, there's so much more fun when it's a good discussion and interviews and having people on. And I would much prefer to go that route long-term. So for right now, I think it's going to be just a rotation of different guests and you're having somebody like yourself on and being able to rotate that around to different people that we know, but we'll see when the season gets going. 
Well, I'll tell you what, man, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I prefer to do a conversational podcast personally for me for two reasons. Number one, because it's just personally what I like better. And I'm going to be honest with you, man. My show would suck if I was solo. <laughs> I hear you, you can handle, you do it well. Joe Marino does it well. Bruce Nolan does it well. I don't. Part of, I, I think anyway, part of having a podcast that works is Joe Miller's another one who's doing a good job by himself. But anyway, part of having a, a good podcast is knowing what your strengths are and knowing what your weaknesses are and having your weaknesses show as little as possible. I've done, this is episode 241, dude. I've done, I think, two, maybe three shows by myself. And I didn't get negative feedback, but I personally felt like they were unmitigated disasters. So I almost am at a point now where if I don't have somebody to talk to, I'd almost rather not do a show. So you do that, by the way. And that's not it, too. Another thing that you do on Sundays, because it's on YouTube, or at least some of the time anyway, is your shit's live, man. Yeah. You know, I give you guys a hell of a lot of credit who do those live shows because, again, there's no second chances. Right now, me and you are taping this. If I happen to fumble over something real bad or something goes wrong on your end, whatever it may be, we can always redo it. And I got time to piece it together and make it sound fine for the listener. You're doing your shit live, bro. So shit goes wrong. You know, you're out of luck. And and not even besides technical stuff, it could be just hard to think on the fly live, you know? Oh yeah. And Bruce and, and uh, Joe and I talk a lot and, and have a bunch of different kind of sidebar conversations in a running group chat that, that we talk all the time. And um, I always tell them, I'm like, it's actually like, people talk about it like not having a safety net and there is, I mean, don't get me wrong. If something went weirdly wrong, I, I matter of fact, the biggest one is technical issues from a, yeah. a speaking standpoint and from a flow of the show. I actually like it because there's such a, an underlying pressure that you can't pause, redo, do a second mm-hmm. cut that I actually perform better under that circumstance and that I've been on shows with multiple different people who are like, Oh, that was a little bit weird. Let's go back and undo that. Um, and I'm like, that's fine. But I actually like having the pressure of not having that as an option. I will yeah. say the one area is actually, I'm excited. Now I have like my one gigabyte ethernet connected now that I'm not going to lose anything and, and be able to flow <laughs> all the time. I got the same thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So other than that one, I actually like it. But uh, a lot of people have mentioned that. Like, oh, man, I don't know how you do that going live. And I'm, I actually tell them, I'm like, I actually think it helps. I, I prefer it because it pushes me to make sure that I'm really on my toes. I know I have to do my homework. I have to have my notes queued up. I have to have everything going. Um, I give people, you know, people reach out for advice and things like that sometimes. And I'll, you know, give them little tidbits, you know, don't ever write things out because you'll recite it. And you can always tell when someone's reading a sentence versus when someone's just naturally talking. So give yourself one trigger word, a a little bullet point. And as those things go, you force yourself to get ready and you force yourself to be able to talk through those things. And it's actually, I think, really good practice professionally, you know, being comfortable on your toes and being able to speak to things yeah. just off the top of your head. It's a, it's a good skill to hone in my opinion. I can feel the savviness of, of your podcasting arc right now as we have a conversation. And a lot of what you say reminds me of situations with me too, because I was like that at one time writing down everything. And, and I go back and I listen to some of the earlier episodes and it's like, okay, I pretty much wrote a script. That's what I did. And oh yeah, just, it doesn't flow. It doesn't sound natural. And you learn things. And I know you know this too. As you go on, like pacing, breathing a little bit, you know, not talking 
a mile a minute. That's something that I've had to work on too. Now I feel like you have the trifecta of doing a hard podcast. So at least some of them you're doing solo. Your shit's live. And then also you do a Buffalo Bills podcast. Like this podcast, for example, this is like all things Buffalo. Sometimes I don't even have sports as a topic. I've had news media people on recently and shit about sports. Makes it a little easier for me to draw from other things during a Bills offseason. How challenging is it for you? Like sometimes during the offseason to be able to stay sharp, to stay creative in your mind with your show, you know, and there's not really shit going on, you know, after the, especially the time between the draft and like around now, there's just not too much going on. So can it be difficult sometimes to, to stay fresh and stay creative with what your content is? A hundred percent. It's, it's really a challenge to be able to find the topics that are going to be worthwhile. So obviously Eric and I both pride ourselves on taking some of the more complex and nuanced, intricate parts of football and making them more digestible for the average fan. So he does it with his crazy, you know, spatial awareness savant skills that he remembers route combinations from last year and can explain the difference between, you know, well, that looks like cover two, but it's actually cover three robber because the guy's over here and, you know, understands just unbelievable details of the the scouting and breakdown side of the game. Um, I'm good with the roster construction, the salary cap. I, I literally read the CBA from start to finish and, you know, going through that kind of thing. I like being able to explain when people are like, oh, well, we can just put that guy as the 54th or 55th guy in the roster. I'm like, well, that's not actually how that works. Is You have to cut down to 53 first, and then you're allowed to bring a guy up for two weeks at a time off the practice squad, and then you have to put him back, and they're still technically eligible to be claimed by another team. And, you know, I like being able to explain those intricacies of the weird or nerdy or boring parts of the game. So that's what I usually fall back on when there's not an obvious topic is – I'll go into things that I get frequent questions on or maybe take a recent event and dive down maybe a layer deeper on how it happened, why it happened, long-term repercussions of what could come from it. Um, And then like anybody else, you're kind of flailing around in some of these weird months where uh, I did do a long position preview series. And that's kind of a buffer that, you know, lets me build out 10, 12 shows at a time and work sure. my way through it. But um, professionally, I do a lot of project management and I'm a very meticulous planner and I detail things out. And that certainly helps me in the, in that side of the skill set uh, to plan out shows and get everything ready and try to find a way to keep it, you know, interesting. Yeah, for sure. One more thing. And then we're going to at least spend a couple minutes before we wind down talking football. But <laughs> you're a frequent guest on, like I call it the Bills podcasting circuit. You, Joe, Bruce, definitely you three guys for sure. I'm going to assume that it's something you enjoy doing because you're giving up a lot of your free time to join shows like this one, for example. Obviously, I'm very appreciative of your time. I kind of feel like for me, you know, I I compare it like being a guest on someone else's show. It's like you're a bartender and every now and then you get to be on the other side of the bar and hang on and drink. You know what I'm saying? In some ways, do you like being able to just be Kind of, I mean, you're obviously you're giving analysis and stuff like that, but you're also just kicking back, talking sports, being a little bit of a fan. Is it a little more relaxing sometimes on the other end when you are a guest? Like, is that one of the reasons why you're generous with your time? Because obviously you don't have to worry about any, you know, recording or post-production or, or being meticulous with your note-taking and, you know, getting ready for a show. You just pop on and talk football, man. That's something you like doing. I would assume that anyway. 
Oh, 100%. And you, the last point you made is the key is that, you know, I dialed in one minute before before we started talking. And then yeah. when we when we hang up, I get to go back and sit on the couch and watch more basketball. And, you know, I can ramble about sports or football anytime. So yeah. <laughs> being able to to do that, I always when I was first getting into this, there were several people who were very generous with their time and very supportive of things that I did. And Sal was great with me and, you know, uh, Tim Graham and, you know, jo- Joe Biscali. Several guys were really generous with their time and very supportive of being able to, you know, kind of chime in and help me with the different things. And um, there's a lot of guys who always you know, I'm just a regular guy. Like I have a regular job. I'm passionate about what I do. I'm glad I built a little bit of a following, but people always ask all the time, like, Oh man, I can't believe you were able to come on the show. I'm like, of course, man, it's fun. As long as I think it's going to be enjoyable. Like if I think I'm going to enjoy myself and it's going to be a fun conversation, I, it's no different than, like you said, going to the bar, hanging out, watching a game. I, I pick up conversations with people, random strangers watching games all the time. It's just a fun part of this part of life. So if I think I'm going to enjoy myself, I always try to make myself available and that if I can give a little two cents here or there to be able to help somebody, you know, go further into something they're passionate about, then that's awesome. Cause uh, I've had people certainly be helpful and supportive with me. And I'd like to do that as often as I can. Let's take a break. I want to let you know that today's episode is being supported by 26 Shirts. Over at 26 Shirts, a different Buffalo theme design is sold every two weeks. And then, bam, that's it. That's a wrap for that shirt. Here's the best part about what they do. For every single shirt sold, they make a donation to a specific worthy campaign or to a charity each and every single time. Since launching in 2013, their designs and shirts have managed to raise and donate several hundred thousand dollars. That number grows literally daily. Del Reed, his crew, they do such an amazing job. They enrich the lives of so many people. It's great to see. Not to mention, these are outstanding looking design shirts. They're comfortable. They're sporty. They look good on you. I have several myself. Head on over to 26shirts.com. And see what cause need you this week. All right, I'm back with Greg. Listen, I mean, you are a football guy. We should probably talk at least a couple minutes. <laughs> at least one or two. Anyway, here's the question that I wanted to pose to you today. So I've been hearing, and I personally believe it as well, for months now that for the most part, the Bills are considered the favorites in the AFC East. Now that changed, at least momentarily anyway, the day that Cam Newton signed with the Patriots. It actually pissed me off. I usually don't buy into preseason hype stuff, but I was getting really annoyed on ESPN. It was like the Cam station that day. And all of a sudden, they're Super Bowl contenders because they signed Cam Newton. Anyway, (laughs) I don't want to get off topic here, (laughs) but here's what I'm saying. So if this is one thing, I mean, this is not really a debate. This is a fact. If the Bills are indeed the best team in the division, that means they need to be better than the other three teams. So I just want to take a couple minutes while I have you on the show with me and fly through these other three teams. And and I want to know why the Bills are better than each of these teams. And let's start with the Jets because that's not going to take a lot of time. I mean, quite clearly, they're a mess, especially on defense. Uh, C.J. Mosley opted out. Adams got traded. Arguably, they're two most talented players on the roster, both gone. Yeah, I don't even think arguably, I think significantly. 
<laughs> yeah. And it, look, they, I mean, they had a good draft and uh, they got good compensation for Adams. So, you know, they had to trade him. I'm, I'm not criticizing them for trading him. And when I say a mess, as much as I hate Adam Gase, let's be a little bit fair to the Jets here. All right. So they, they kind of had to trade Adams. Well, it's their own fault because their coach couldn't get along. So that, but he had to be traded. They couldn't control C.J. Mosley opting out. Um, you know, there's just lots of things about this team that's whatever. I, I mean, I don't even know where I'm quite going with this, but I, I want to ask you, like, this team in no way to you is a threat to the Buffalo Bills. Because, again, if the Bills are the best, that means they're better than the Jets. I mean, there's not really much of a debate to be had here with this team, is there? Oh, no. So the one area that I'll caution some Bills fans to, you know, at least be conscious of is that Joe Douglas is the real deal. Their GM is good. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of the decisions he's made recently are painful in the short term, but go back to 2017 and going into 2018, Brandon Bean made an awful lot of painful decisions for the Bills as well, took on a record uh, dead cap situation, made multiple trades. We went into that, you know, what ended up being the Josh Allen and uh, Tremaine Edmonds draft with, you know, two first, two seconds, three thirds. We we had a cadre of, you know, draft capital to be able to make the moves that we needed to needed to do. That's not that unfamiliar with what the Jets are doing. And we'll get to the Dolphins in a minute, but um, they did it a little bit backwards. I I think that unfortunately, Douglas is going to have to wait and give Gase one more year to flail around here. Then he'll fire him. And then we just have to hope he doesn't make the right choice when he gets to hire a new coach here. Um, I actually am a fan of Sam Darnold. I think he's a really good player and I think he has a chance to have a bright future, but man, are they giving him a rough run here? And, Prior to Adams and, um, you know, obviously having the the opt outs and, and the situation that they're in, I, I thought there was maybe a chance that they could, you know, cobble some things together. You know, Jamison Crowder's not terrible. Brashad Perriman wasn't a bad signing. I like Denzel Mims. They drafted a left tackle. I, I, you know, they signed three other linemen that, you know, I don't know that they gave weird contracts to Connor McGovern, Greg Ben Roten, and George Fant, but they're at least they're better than what they had at the horrible offensive line last year. So I could have been told a story that it wasn't going to be a disaster, but you take away your two best players on a team that was already devoid in town and that I'm always going to assume that Adam Gase is going to be a net negative in this situation. So it ain't happening this year. I do think that Joe Douglas is a good GM and has them going in the right direction, but I think it's 2022 at the earliest. It's going to take a minute to turn the ship around. I agree 100%. Well, how do you feel if you're Sam Darnold right now? Oh. Just imagine this. If the Bills, let's just say the Bills were not, I mean, you never know. The game's got to be played. But let's just say the prospects were not looking bright for the Bills right now. And they were staring 5-11 and 11 in the face. Because I kind of feel like that's what the Jets are doing right now. Maybe even worse. The defense is just an absolute train wreck without those two guys. So you're Sam Darnold. You mentioned some of the guys. I mean, they're decent receivers. Perryman's okay. Jameson Crowder's okay. Pretty good. Denzel Mims, he's a rookie. We'll see. The line is better because in part because it can't be worse. But, I mean, dude, you're going into year three now. So, if the Jets are like you and I both think they're going to be, year three is going to be a wash for Sam Darnold. Now you're going into year four before you even start to even consider knowing what kind of guy you got with him right now. 
Oh, it, it's going to be by far the biggest burden on Joe Douglas is that he's built some other good things around here, but he's going to have to make a very serious decision on Sam Darnold before he has the information to do that. And I think it could lead to, you know, obviously I think he's shown enough flashes that they're going to pick up the fifth year option. He's not a bust. Sam Darnold is not a bust. He is going right. to be an NFL quarterback here. Now, what we're debating is, is he going to end up being an Andy Dalton kind of guy, or can he be a Sam or a Matt Ryan kind of guy? We don't really know that yet. Um, and they're going to have to decide that before they have that information. So, you know, that could invite, you know, a, a franchise tag maybe after the fifth year option, if they're not ready to make that hundred million dollar decision. And that just can lead to all kinds of other issues. And yeah, it's, you know, obviously the, the right way to build it is, and it's hard not to sound like a Homer, but, exactly what Brandon Bean has done. You know, he built, got some of the structure around beforehand, cut the losses, brought in the rookie quarterback, built the offensive line, brought in more weapons, isolated all the variables so that now you can make an informed decision. If there is a 16 game year, this is game, this 16 game season this year, we are going to know definitively at the end of it. If, uh, Josh Allen is a franchise quarterback of the Buffalo Bills because they've isolated every other variable. He has a 10 deep NFL offensive line. He has a top three, you know, the top three wide receivers are in the, one of the five to eight best receiver cores in the NFL. Um, all those things are isolated and you know, whatever the performance is, is based on him. And they have none of that in the jets and they're, they're going to turn over. They're going to change coaches after this year. That's going to be another excuse next year. And it's a shame because I think he's a good player, but it's uh, it, it certainly doesn't, doesn't uh, give me any pain this year. Cause I think it's going to be uh, a mess. And I'm certainly excited that we opened with the jets week one. Cause I think that's going to be a fun time to catch them. I'm very intrigued to hear your thoughts on the Miami dolphins, because if we had this conversation about a year ago, I think it certainly appeared that they were tanking for Tua. That was kind of like the motto a year ago. They started out terrible. They played well near the end of the season. They won in New England in Week 17, which forced New England into playing a first-round game, which they lost to Tennessee. They went out. They signed a lot of talent this yeah. offseason. I like their draft, and they ended up with Tua anyway. So it's uh, what's your thoughts on this team right now? They're very intriguing to me. So if you went back a year, you would say almost everything I just said about the Jets and that, you know, I wasn't sure about the coach. I wasn't sure about the GM, a lot of, you know, weird decisions. I think that both uh, the, you know, Brian Flores, I think is a legit coach. I'm not excited that they have Brian Flores. I think he's good. I think he has a lot of Sean McDermott tendencies to him. And I think they're very similar cut from the same cloth kind of guys that are going to get more out of their talent than the average coach does. And that's never good to have in the division. They stockpiled a historic cachet of draft capital. And my only my only positive is I don't think they hit the draft out of the park. Um, you know, obviously landing two at five was a blessing for them, but mm-hmm. almost every other pick I was like, meh, okay. You know, I don't know that they got, I thought they reached on Austin Jackson, um, you know, drafting another after you already are paying the two highest cornerback salaries in the NFL to add another guy in Noeg Benagane is interesting. Um, you know, Raquan Davis is solid, Robert Hunt, you know, other players like that are, are good players, but nothing that I'm terrified of. So they're building a deep team. They're bringing in new guys. I think they're going to be competitive. The same thing. They added some I like names like Shaq Lawson. I like Kyle Van Noy. I like Byron Jones, but you paid them all 
huge money. You know, you're paying Shaq Lawson like a game-changing pass rusher. You're paying Kyle Van Noy like he's going to be a game-changing linebacker. You're paying Byron Jones the highest cornerback salary in the NFL. Um, And I think all three of those guys are good. None of those players, Shaq Lawson is not a game-changing pass rusher. Kyle Van Noy is not a, you know, Patrick Willis kind of linebacker. Byron Jones is not a shutdown corner and you're paying them all at that level. So at some point, those checks are going to come due where you need that level of performance from it. But they've also added an incredible amount of talent just in raw additions to the roster. So I think they're headed the right way and that this year depth and good coaching is going to go a long way. So I actually think the Dolphins could surprise. I would pick them for second in the division right now if it was me. Uh, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is going into yet another season as a starting quarterback. That just absolutely blows me away, man. Good for him, though. Good for <laughs> yeah, Fitzy. God bless him. <laughs> yeah, I love uh, Fitzy. You'll never hear me say a bad word about him. Oh, I yeah. would much honestly. I would much rather play Tua this year than Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, he's dangerous. He's still oh yeah. I feel I'd feel much better about pulling out a win against a rookie quarterback than Fitzy. Absolutely, man. All right, well, Patriots. Obviously, the big news, they signed Cam. Uh, Bo Allen, they signed him, too. But, dude, this team has lost a lot, man, a lot. You know, uh, you mentioned Van Noy. Jamie Collins is gone. Of course, obviously, Tom Brady, the big one. He's Danny down Sheldon, Duran Harmon, Gronk. Yeah, and then the opt-outs, man. Chung, Hightower, Marquise Lee among them. I mean, Marcus Cannon may be the one yeah, that Marcus people Cannon. are talking about the least that might be yeah. the most important. Yeah, I mean, you look at this team, and look, they've won, what, 20 straight division titles? Something You have to, you got to beat the champs, and I don't care what it looks like on paper, you're the champs until you're not. I get it. And Bill Belichick is, in my mind, and I'm sure many others, the greatest coach of all time. But I look at this roster, brother, I'm just, I'm not impressed. The offense stinks. And that's if Cam is, I mean, Cam better be MVP 2015 Cam for this offense and not suck. I just don't see anything good about it from the line. They lost their old line coach. Should have mentioned him too. He's gone. Oh, Dante Stranecki is the greatest position coach in NFL history. Right. And he's gone too, man. Yeah. So you got a, a very iffy quarterback. I don't like the receivers whatsoever. The line is shaky and the defense. Sure. It's still good, but dude, they lost three good linebackers. Uh, Chung, it's just, there's so many holes on this team. I mean, at what point do you just say, you know, it's time for them to finally, and this would, you know, it's taken forever, but finally it's their time to fall back. So I'll I'll start with some of the positives. So Bill Belichick is the greatest football mind who's ever lived. Um, Mm -hmm. He is always going to give them a competitive advantage. I actually think Josh McDaniels is a better offensive coordinator than he gets credit for because of his fumbling of the head coaching opportunities he's had and then passed on with the Colts. I think he kind of gets a a bad rap. I think he's actually pretty darn good as an offensive coordinator. They probably have the best interior three offensive linemen with Joe Tooney, assuming David Andrews comes all the way back from his blood clot and Shaq Mason. Beyond that, their offense is rough. So we haven't seen Cam Newton healthy in two years. He's now playing behind Anything, uh, a, a, you know, a good interior line, but assuming Isaiah Wynn can come back healthy. And I'll give you $500 if you can name the right tackle of the New England Patriots right now. 
I couldn't remember Marcus Cannon, and he's good, so, so I doubt yeah, he's Their right tackle is currently a man named Corey Cunningham that I discovered was a human who existed about 12 minutes ago. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, they, you know, Sony Michelle's been kind of iffy, you know, that James White's still a decent receiving back. So, I mean, they have, you know, Julian Edelman's not a terrible slot receiver, right. um, but the same we talked about the Jets, you know, when your top two outside receivers are Muhammad Sanu and Nikhil Harry, it's just not anything special. Then that defense, the crazy part is, you know, everybody has their feelings about Stefan Gilmore. He's phenomenal. He's a great corner. Devin mm-hmm. and McCordy and Jason McCordy are good secondary pieces. The rest of that defense is rough. So they already lost to Ron Harmon. They already lost Andy Shelton. They already lost Cal Vanoy. They already lost Jamie Collins. Now you had more guys opt out. Man, I, I mean... You know, they, they drafted a couple guys. Josh, you know, Chase Winovich is going to step forward. They drafted Josh Uche. They got, you know, Kyle Duggar. They they have some other pieces that will fit in here. And, again, when the guy plugging the holes and deciding who goes where is Bill Belichick, they're not going to fall off. They, this isn't going to be some 3-13 and 13 team. But I, I'm not that scared. I the Bills, the Bills should beat them. They should beat them twice, and they should win the division. Now, that doesn't mean all that's going to come to fruition, but they absolutely should 100%. Put it this way. I, I feel like if they don't do it this year, when are they? You know, when are they going to beat New England if, it, if it's not going to be this year? I'll tell you, I take a lot of pride almost to a flaw where I don't like to get ahead of myself with the Bills and I don't like to get over optimistic because I'm a Buffalonian and I've lived through a lot with the, when it comes to Buffalo sports. You know goddamn well. The, the same feeling. Uh, oh, yeah. But I, I'll tell you, man, short of costly injuries, because those can always happen, I really am I'm finding myself struggling hard to come to any conclusion other than the Bills are, you know, they're definitely the team to beat in the AFC East. And they're good enough to cause some trouble in the postseason too. And again, I don't like to make those kind of declarations, especially in the summer, but God, just... Bro, this, our, the Buffalo Bills roster is better than any of the three teams that we talked about. And frankly, in two of the three cases, I don't even think it's close either. Easily. Easily. So here's a fun one. If we compared the offensive line of Ty Insecki, Daryl Williams, Evan Baim, Spencer Long, and Ryan Bates... That's better than the Jets and the Dolphins offensive line and better tackles than the Patriots. All five of them are backups for the Bills. That's crazy. The Bills backup line would possibly be the second best offensive line in the division. It yeah. Is. How about the heck the look at the what we just ran through with the Patriots, how rough their defensive line is. Our backup defensive line is Trent Murphy, Quentin Jefferson, Harrison Phillips, and AJ Epinesa. Yeah, it's unbelievable yeah, it's the the depth that that, uh, you know, Brandon Bean has put together when I had Brandon Thorne on the show and he's obviously, you know, does the trench warfare show and is an offensive and defensive line expert and said that, you know, he doesn't want to get ahead of himself. He doesn't want to get Bill's fans excited, but there's a lot of similarities to how that championships uh, Eagles roster was built with the depth on the offensive and defensive lines to what he sees with this Bill's roster. And that in a season like this, where depth is going to matter more than it ever has, that's really exciting to hear. It really is. Now, early in the podcast, I mentioned Brian Winters. He signs with Buffalo today. Uh, Ian Rappaport said there was a nice market. So I liked hearing that. 
that a market he just got cut on was it Sunday? He got cut oh, on it was Sunday, one day. Right? He was a free agent yeah, for less than free agent one hours. day. Yeah, and Ian Rappaport said that there was already a market for him, so there was interest. It wasn't just like the Bills taking a flyer on this guy. There's interest out there. They moved quick. He started 79 games since 2013. What What are your thoughts on him? I know he's a talented player, but I also know. I mean, again, you got to be fair here. He he is definitely an injury risk as well. But how long do you really need him to be a starter? I I suppose is the question too. Yeah, and so you know, I, I think that if if the Bills were bringing in a guy like Brian Winters as some critical linchpin piece that they really needed um, in the way that they needed um, Mitch Morris last year, that kind of thing, I would be a bit more concerned. I, I would have some some concern about how they handled that. But the fact that they're bringing him in and he now just goes into the mix against Spencer Long, against you know Ryan Bates, against Daryl Williams to all just kind of compete uh, in in that's the potential of maybe just even only holding the keeping the seat warm until John Feliciano comes back. That's a huge luxury. I, I think that he got a good amount of money from the uh, from the Jets and was in a position where. You know, he still walked away and got eight million, seven million, and six and a half million the last three years. Uh, plus, he had a little bit this year that already tra- uh, transacted over that they were kind of surprised that they didn't move on from him earlier. So, um, I don't think he signed for a lot of money. I think he signed with us because he gets to play the Jets twice, and I think he signed with us because he saw with the Feliciano injury that they he had a chance to come in and play and to rebuild his value for next year to be able to get a, uh, get another contract. So um, I think this was a free, easy move. When I put it on Twitter, I said that, you know, having options are good. Having competition is good. Brian winter signing adds to competition and gives Sean McDermott more options. Therefore signing Brian winters was good. <laughs> and that I, I, it's really no more complicated than that. I'll tell you another reason why I'm glad he signed. It saved me the trouble of having a, is Cody Ford going to play tackle or guard this year conversation with you? Because that was definitely going to happen if, if it wasn't. Oh, I, I did it last night. <laughs> <laughs> I debated. I'm like, well, I don't really want to. I'd rather the stability. I'd rather keep him at tackle. But, you know, coming out, I thought he'd be better at guard. And I, I went down the whole path. And now, you know, thank God that they have more competition there. And I think it's better because it really would have got thin moving him, having to hope Daryl Williams could go back out to tackle or that Ty and Seki could hold up for a whole season. I think it was unlikely that that was the best scenario. So keeping forward out there where Inseki can now just be a really valuable high-end swing tackle, that's our best case scenario. Yeah, I agree 100%. And if nothing else, we'll find out what kind of right tackle Cody Ford is this year for sure in year two. Oh, yeah. Let me get your thoughts real quick on on field only. The effect of Star the Little A and EJ Gaines opted out. Again, we're not going to comment or criticize somebody for making a health decision, but I'm talking about purely from football standpoint only what are your thoughts on that um so i ej Gaines was already just a bonus and a third option i liked it in case the wheels really fell off josh norman that we didn't have only levi wallace and you still had ej Gaines as kind of an insurance policy but i didn't really plan on him ever touching the field if we're being honest yeah star latule i end up apologizing for all the time because i have the same conversation i do about tyler croft or about Patrick DeMarco or about um, Trent Murphy and that people confuse not being a good value with being a bum and that just because you're overpaid doesn't mean you're not 
NFL caliber and NFL roster worthy and guys like star or Trent Murphy would be, would be unemployed for a day, just like Brian winners just was, they would sign with another team immediately because their NFL roster caliber, they're good players. They're just, you know, probably a little overpaid for what we got them for. So this kind of exposed that a little bit. We don't have an obvious plug and play at, one tech defensive tackle. I think Vernon Butler can play one tech. He's probably better at three tech. Harrison Phillips can play one tech. He's probably better at three tech. Ed Oliver should not be a one tech. Quentin Jefferson shouldn't be a one tech. Maybe it gives Vincent Taylor a chance to play a little bit more or to make this roster. Um, so I don't think it's terrible news if we we're going to lose some a starter, losing them at defensive line when we have you know 10 or 11 NFL caliber defensive linemen. That's not a bad spot to be in, but it's not good news. And anybody who tried to frame it as, oh, well, Star was a bum anyway, so this is actually a blessing in disguise and we're better now without him, that's just wrong and it's not accurate. Absolutely not. Uh, Just two more things for you. So I think we've established that we both think that the Bills are the best team right now in the AFC East, at least on paper, which really feels Mm -hmm. funny for me to say that, but it it is, it's the truth. On paper, it's undeniable. Right. And I would say that we both surely agree that Kansas City and Baltimore are the two most talented teams right now in the AFC. Instead of asking you where you think the Bills fall in line, give me a non-Kansas City or Baltimore team right now that you can consider a sleeper team in the conference. Like somebody like, don't sleep on this team, man, because they might, they might do some damage this year. So the two that I'll give are the Colts and the Steelers. Um, the Colts had a really good team built around it with no quarterback. Now you add Phillip Rivers with a great offensive line. You add Jonathan Taylor to, to Marlon Mack. Um, you know, I, I think they're really putting together something interesting. And then the Steelers, you know, I think people underestimate they had by far the worst offense in the NFL last year. To mm-hmm. a startling degree, with historically bad quarterback play, and that people will say, "Ah, well, you know, Roethlisberger doesn't have it anymore. He's not anything special." If he comes back and he's the twentieth best quarterback, they are going to take such a slingshot forward because that defense is legit, and they were put in such horrible positions last year because of the train wreck at quarterback. I think the Steelers are a sneaky team, and I, I put them right in that mix with the Bills for the third best team. In the AFC, I think it's that group. Then you get into, you know, the Titans will be decent again. The Texans will be decent again. Uh, I actually think the Browns are like a post-hype sleeper. Everybody got ahead of themselves last year. And this year, they actually did fix the offensive line and kept all the special, all the skill position players people got too excited about last year when they had a trash offensive line. I actually kind of think they fixed it with uh, taking Jedrick Wills and signing Jack Conklin. Um, So I actually think they're going to be a, a sneaky play there, but that's that group. I think that it's, you know, the, the, I actually think the chiefs are in a tier by themselves. I think the Ravens are kind of in a tier by themselves. Then I think the bills are legitimately third, but they're in that group with the Colts, with the Steelers, maybe with the, the Browns, the Titans, the Texans. Um, and then, you know, some people like some up and coming teams like the Broncos or the Raiders, but I think they're too young and, and going to take a minute to get, get to that point. I think the Jags are going to be horrible. The Bengals are going to be horrible. Um, the Dolphins and the Dolphins are maybe getting there, but they're a year away. The Jets are going to be terrible. Um, so there's going to be some some winnable games on the schedule there. But uh, the AFC is going to be no joke, and I think that uh, 
we're going to have some interesting games to be able to see where it goes. I, I tell you what, I like the Colts. I really oh, yeah. do. If Phillip Rivers is not shot, if he's not shot, they're going to be good. They got a really good line, far better than he had with the Chargers. Um, they got two really good rookie offensive players that I like a lot. Pittman and Jonathan Taylor. Mack and Taylor could be a nice combination in the back. They oh, traded yeah. for DeForest Buckner. Uh, they got Trey Burden. There's a lot of talent on that team, man. And uh, I think they could be there. Last question here. Not counting Josh Allen because that would be too easy. And you know what? I'm not going to let you say Stephon Diggs either because he's new. Give me a guy on this team that you're most excited to watch play this year whose name's not Josh Allen or Stephon Diggs. Uh, for me, it's easy. It's Tremaine Edmonds. I, I think Tremaine Edmonds is going to take a step forward this year and legitimately be in that Luke Keekley, Brian Urlacher kind of realm of you know, a not only one of the best linebackers in the NFL, but a special player. And that I think people underestimate that the dude's, you know, 22 years old, just turning 23 and is now going into his third season. I joked during the draft process that he just finished his Pro Bowl second season going into his third year, and he was younger than 46 of the 60 draft eligible linebackers in the draft this year. Um, and it's just so unbelievable that he has that kind of head start on everyone from a development standpoint and that it's really starting to come together that he has just a freak of nature build and is now putting it together mentally where he can really process everything so quickly. And I think he could be in for a special, like legitimately maybe defensive player of the year kind of season. Give Greg a follow on Twitter at Greg Thompson. Of course, check out the Cover One Buffalo podcast. I'll put a link to all that stuff. In the show notes, my man, dude, as always, thank you. It's always good to have you on the show, man. I love shooting this shit with you, even when it's not just football, man. One of my faves. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, we, we, I think we were a half hour in before we got into football and it had a blast for the man. So it's always fun to come on with you, Pat, and looking forward to uh, jumping on the next time. All right, folks, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you again to my man, Greg Thompson from Cover One. Always great to have Greg on this podcast. One of my favorite guests. Thank you very much, Greg. I also want to thank today's show supporters, 26 Shirts, Automute, and Sounds Assured. Guys, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead. Do that right now. Rate and review all that fun stuff. It really helps me continue to grow this podcast. Of course, you can find us on all the major podcasting platforms out there. Also, check us out on YouTube, Talking Buffalo Podcast YouTube channel. Got highlight clips from current and past episodes up there. Some original content coming your way very soon as well. Then, of course, last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pamaran Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, promos, Upcoming guests, polls, all kinds of stuff going on there. Again, at Pamarin Tweets. Thank you so much for listening. I say it all the time. It's how I have to end every episode because I mean it. It means so much to me, man. There's so many, so many good podcasts out there. Millions of them, literally, uh, including my boy Greg's podcast. So when you're locked into this one and you're giving up your time to listen to what I have to say and what the people that I have on the show, what they have to say, It means the world to me, man. It's very humbling, very grateful for that. So thank you very much. 
Have a excellent rest of the week, and I will be back with a brand new episode on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.